I'm delighted to share with you this morning. Uh, it's always a privilege and honor to share God's Word with friends. And when Jason asked me if I'd be available today some time ago, I said uh, I would. And uh, I sort of gathered my thoughts together about what I'd like to say. Uh, one of my favorite parables is the one that was just read by Susan, the parable of the prodigal son. And I was considering the two sons in the story and started to put my sermon together. I wanted to reflect the fact that both sons were uh, lost in a way, and uh, but that would be a topic for another thing because God had other ideas, and as I was well into my preparation for the message today, uh, some would say uh, an epiphany occurred, but I would call it a God winks. And I, here's what happened. We were sitting around the dining room table at home, with our family, my daughter and her husband and two little ones. And just before supper started, the one that's almost five said, I'd like to say grace. Oh, that's impressive. And it wasn't just an ordinary grace. This is what I, I gathered that she said, and I wrote it down. God, thank you for our food, our home, and rest, and all things good. For the wind and rain, and for the sun above, and most of all, for those we love. And then she said, and thank you for Grandma who prepared this food. I said, wow, that's amazing. This person's not even five, and, and I thought this was really special. And I thought, well, maybe my Christian example you know, as a Christian father has sifted down through into the grandchildren. So I started to reflect on my role as a parent and grandparent, especially as on Tuesday I turned 39 for the 31st time. <laughs> It sounds a little less intimidating that way, doesn't it? <laughs> so I thought, well, no, I've been a parent then for 50 years and a grandparent for 20 years. Uh, so maybe there's something I could share with the fathers, particularly in the church. I reflected on the birth of our daughter some 28 and a half years ago, the mother of the two young grandchildren. And that expanded to my other three children and two other grandchildren that are older. And so another title using the same parable was created. I think we can... No? There we go. A Father and His Children, A Christian Perspective. So Heavenly Father, may my words honor you today and may they be meaningful to those that are here. What sparked the thoughts I'll share with you today started with the birth of my daughter, Laura, some 28 years ago. Boy, does time fly by. Laura was the first girl on my side of the family in two generations, a very special event in our family, as you can appreciate. And I was blessed to be able to share this experience with my wife as I was with her, coaching her during the labor and delivery. So there I was to greet Laura and carry her from the delivery room. I'm certain that that bond created then is something that has made a special bond for us since that time. It was really funny, just an aside there, uh, sometimes you say things without thinking, and when the baby was delivered and the the doctor had Laura in her arms and asked me if I wanted to cut the cord, I said, what the heck are we paying you for? Anyway, he did. He cut the cord and I carried Laura out. It was a very special time for me. I mention this because of the birth of my other three children, three sons, I was not able to be present. The first one born almost 50 years ago 
you dropped your wife off at the hospital and they said, don't call us, we'll call you and we'll let you know if anything happens. So that was interesting. My second son, Paul, was born in Kamloops and you could wait in the waiting room. And that was an interesting experience because at about 7 o'clock they said it would be any time now. And I sat there and I paced the floor and I sat there. At 7 the next morning I went in and said, what's happening? You know, oh, didn't they tell you? You had a little boy at about 10 o'clock last night. So. <laughs> so our third son, Mark, was adopted, and we drove to Prince George to pick him up. So you can see how important the birth of my daughter was. And during the time in the hospital, 15 to 16 hours, as I was coaching and supporting my wife, I did a great deal of reflecting on what I, as a Christian father, had to offer my daughter and my other children. So from that reflection, my notes from that time and real life experience as a parent and grandparent comes what I wish to share with you today. I've been encouraged as well by worshipping at this church where there are a number of young fathers and young children. I think that's really special. It's so important for a church in their growth. So I hope my thoughts and experience will be meaningful to them as well. It's not easy to be a parent. There's no one definitive book that can prepare you for all the things that can occur. The love, joy, special times, along with the frustrations, pain, and disappointments. Sure, there's many books that promise all the answers, and I've read some of them, but they don't cover everything, I can assure you. It's not like a piece of equipment where you get a a manual that says, if this happens, go to number eight, and this is what you do. It doesn't work that way. As I was preparing for today, I reflected on how poorly I've done at times in the past and how important it is to be reminded of the crucial role parents play in the lives of the children. Only through the grace of God do I feel that I manage reasonably well. Incidentally, mothers, please don't feel neglected today. We fathers need your support and encouragement. And above all, your reminders about our responsibility to be effective Christian fathers. It's very much a team approach. So one of the major commitments a father must make to his children is to spend time with them. I'm not talking about a few minutes here or there or being with them in person only, thinking about what this time is costing you from work, golf, TV, or anything else that you might be thinking of. I'm talking about dedicated time. I'm talking about loving and caring time and sharing time. I'm talking about wanting to be with them. Wanting to be with them and discovering what's important to them. And it doesn't have to be an extravagant event. Let me tell you the story of a couple that had two young boys that were going to Knott's Berry Farm in the States, and they were waiting on the long line up to enter into the farm area. Outside was some wading pools and things, and there was a family of ducks, and the two little boys were over there laying on the ground, playing with the little ducks because they weren't afraid because they're used to people all the time. Parents finally got the tickets and they said, come on, let's go and have some fun. They forgot they were having fun already. So it doesn't have to be a fantastic thing. Little things are important to them. I found that in my own experience. Now it isn't easy in this world of busyness. I've struggled with it and I'm sure you do as well. But an intense love and affection can be generated during the time you set aside for your children. That can set a tone for a lifetime of fellowship. 
They can be some of the most important and precious times of your life, so don't miss out on them. Because time goes by so quickly. How many times have you heard someone say, or perhaps you've said yourself, where has the time gone? My kids have grown up and I haven't got to know them. A favorite story of mine is about a 10-year-old boy whose father was a lawyer and his father said to him, son, I can't go to your soccer games because I'm working weekends and nights. I have to do that so I can get ahead and be a partner in the, in the uh, firm. His son said to him one day, he said, Dad, how much do you charge your clients? And he said, $300 an hour. And he said, Dad, would you loan me 100 bucks?" And his father said, don't be ridiculous. And the son went away sobbing, crying to his room, and the father followed him. He said, sorry, son, I'll lend you the money, but you can, tell me what it's, can you tell me what it's for? And he said, well, I've saved up $200. And with your 100 I'll have enough. I won the most valuable player award and the award banquet Saturday night, and I'd like an hour of your time to watch me receive my award. So this is what the father said. He said he felt like he'd been stabbed in the heart as he realized the cost he'd pay for his priorities. None of his clients needed him as much as his son, and nothing he could do as a lawyer was more important than what he could do as a father. How would he miss that insight? It's always difficult to balance job demands and family needs, but the test of whether you work too much is simple. Are you able to give... The kind, are you able to be the kind of parent your child deserves? Another story, and I, I want to just share, first of all, this book is in, from the library here in the church. You've got an amazing library here. Mark, you do an incredible job. I don't know how many people of you looked through there, but it's amazing. And I picked up this book because it's important to me. It's just the power of pause. I happen to be a double-A type person that's always on the go. And it's incredible. I encourage you to pick up this book. But I want to read your story from it. And I missed one slide here. At a playground, a woman sits down next to a man on a park bench. That's my son over there, she says, pointing out to a little boy in a red sweater gliding down the slide. He's a fine-looking boy, the man said. That's my son on the swing with the blue sweatshirt. Then looking at his watch, he calls, What do you say we go, Todd? Todd, please, Dad, just five more minutes, please, just five more minutes. The man nods, and Todd continues swinging, looking elated. Many minutes pass, and the father calls again. Todd, what do you think? Time to go, son? Five more minutes, Dad, just five more minutes. The man smiles and says, Okay. My, the woman says, You're certainly a patient father. The man smiles last year. He said, my older son Tommy was killed by a drunk driver while he was riding his bike not far from here. I never spent much time with Tommy, and now I'd give anything for just five more minutes with him. So I vowed not to make the same mistake with Todd. He thinks he has five more minutes to swing, but the truth really is I get five more minutes to watch him play. A recent survey in the U.S says that the average father spends seven minutes a day with their children. I, I find that unbelievable, unacceptable, and shocking. Well, there's been several surveys on that topic that I've read over the years, ranging from the seven minutes to 30 minutes. And while the amount of time varies radically, depending on the survey, it's still shocking. It gives credence to the person that coined the phrase, values are not taught to our youth, they are caught by them. Values are not taught to our youth, they are caught by them. 
So there's many things that take us away from home and our children, the demands of a job that claims mealtimes, evenings and weekends, as well as days, the trips and moves necessary to get ahead or simply hold one's own. The increasing time commuting, entertaining, going out, meeting social and community obligations, etc., etc. Think about it. So, quick example here. There's 100, uh, sorry, 1,440 minutes in a day. If we say, for example, that we sleep for 10 hours, either the children or the adults, that's 600 minutes. Time at work, say 10 hours, eight hours for work, an hour for tra traveling back and forth, or some overtime, 600 minutes that leaves 240 minutes or four hours. We can't say there's enough time. We all have the same amount of time, we just have different priorities. So how do we find and dedicate quality time? First of all, there has to be a priority. I think of a story of uh, Dwight David Eisenhower, who was President of the United States after the Second World War. In the middle of a very important meeting at 3.30, got up from the meeting and said he had to leave. And they said, well, wait a minute, we're in an important meeting. What's, what's going on? He said, I made a commitment to meet with my grandson to play football at 3.30. So I'm going to play with him. Well, this is an important meeting. And he said, it's an important meeting for him. You guys deal with it. You need to plan to set aside some time. One of the things that we used in our family were family planning sessions. We'd meet once a week to talk about what our goals were for the week, who was going to help mom or dad with the meals, the cleanup, who was going to take the garbage out, and those kind of things. That's a good time to be with the family, hear what's going on in their lives and what they have to do. And, and we also did a couple of plans during the year for goal setting for the year. And one of the profound things that came out of that was my daughter in grade five said, we don't do recycling. We're learning about it at school. Now we're major recyclers. And it's just because she brought up that. So it's important to listen to what they have to say and what they have to offer. Getting ready for your family. I, I, I had a terrible time when I was uh, in the hustle and bustle of work life. When I got home after work at 5 o'clock, I wanted nothing to do with anybody except to sit down, read a newspaper, or do something. So here's how I cleared up that problem. I spent another half an hour at work. I shut the door, I reviewed what I did during the day, I prayed for guidance for what was going to happen the next day, and I spent some quiet time. When I got home, I was ready to be with my family. Really, really worked out well. How about mealtime? Leo Biscaley in his book, Living, Loving and Learning, if you haven't read that, it's a great read. I don't know whether it's in the library here or not. If it isn't, I'll buy a copy to put in the library. He talks about when he was growing up, his parents insisted that he and his siblings had to come up with something they learned during the day and share it at the dinner table. He said, even if I didn't learn anything at school, I had to get home, get an encyclopedia out and look through and find something that I could share that was new. So there's lots of things you can do. When you're working with the kids, ask open-end questions. What do you think about? Why do you think? What does that mean? What would happen if? Tell me about your day. And listen to what they have to say, because you can develop a real close relationship and a mentoring relationship. I speak of my almost 50-year-old son, who is a very successful vice president of a nationwide company out of Calgary. Still, to this day, whenever he has a decision to make, he phones me. He says, what do you think? And I say, well, what do you think? And we, I ask him questions. He shares what he's considering, what he's thought about. 
And the only time I say anything is if he's forgotten some aspect that I might ask him about. And it's just a chance that he has of sharing with somebody, speaking out loud. So build those kind of relationships. They're so important. And when you're listening to them, listening is wanting to hear. You want to hear what they have to say. It's also been said that children spell love T-I-M-E, time. Another major commitment a father must make to his children is to love them as God loves us. Jesus, in his parable that Susan read so eloquently this morning, the prodigal son, his best known and perhaps most profound parable, reveals to us the true nature of God's love. The parable begins about a father and his two sons and begins when the younger son asks his father for his share of his inheritance so he can go out and make his fortune in the world. Now most of us can identify with this young man in his search for money, things, property, status, or merely escape from home and responsibilities. We as humans by nature seek self-fulfillment. We tend to prize material things, see people as objects to be used in obtaining them. Consistent with this, we find in the parable that the turning point of the young man's life is not a religious experience. In returning to the father, the son is not motivated by repentance, grief, or remorse, or insight. He merely becomes disgusted with his own material and social lot in life. He's hungry, cold, and lonely, and dares to believe that his father may still love him enough to provide him with the simple necessities. Now this parable outlines five characteristics of love, of the father's love for his son, and provides us with a model to follow as parents and grandparents. So the first one is love is permissive. The father not only let his son go to destruction in a far country, but actually gave him the resources to do that, his share of inheritance. Just a little bit of background here. This request at that time in those days would have been really wishing his father dead, a sign of great disrespect. He wanted his father's things. The father's response is startling because as a traditional Middle Eastern father, he would be expected to respond to such a request by driving his son out of the family, perhaps even with physical blows. When you stop to think about it, what would your father have said if you asked him or what would you say if you were asked? I can hear words like, what? You're kidding? Get lost? Not a chance? Who do you think you are? I'm thinking of my father when I said that. (laughs) Aren't we fortunate that our God is a permissive God? We can choose to obey and follow him, or we can go our own way, but he's always there to welcome us back home, enveloping us in his love. And this cost of love is all too real to those of us who are parents. We, need, we tend to protect our children and keep them from being hurt, not because we, necessarily that we love them, but often because of the pain we suffer when they are hurt. To love our children permissively as they become of age is to experience part of the very nature of God. It took me some time in my life to comprehend the power of God loves, God's love for us. I had trouble understanding how God as a father could allow his son to die on the cross. When I became a father and now as a grandfather, I know that some of the greatest pain I feel or felt and still feel is to see them ignored, abused, or rejected by their friends or injured in accidents or sporting events. That gave me a totally new appreciation for God's love for us. 
In John 3.16 it says, And you know the words, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. His only Son. He watched him suffer, be ignored, rejected, and nailed to the cross so we can have eternal life. Wow, that is love. There we go. Love is always forgiving. The nature of love, of God's love, is to be forgiving all the time. When the son comes back asking for forgiveness, the father brushes aside the request and showers him with all he needs, hugs, food, clothing. The goal for Christians is to act in a constantly forgiving way to all who hurt us, because even as we sin, we're being forgiven. This is the love of the God the Father through the sacrifice of his son. To be effective Christians, we must recognize the need for love in all people, especially our children, discerning behind their many requests their cry for love. This was certainly one of Jesus' great secrets in dealing with people. He didn't see a drunk, a prostitute, an uncouth fisherman, people whose outward appearance gave no indication of what they really wanted or needed. He only saw persons desperately looking for love. This is a great, great quote I found, I'm not sure where, but it says, We are not to hate evil so much as we are to love those caught in its grip. We are not to hate evil so much as we are to love those caught in its grip. Love is unconditional. When the son returns to his father's house, there's no laws laid down for his behavior. There's no, there's no injunctions that he better not make the same mistake again. Having returned to the father's house and experiencing his love, we are free once again to return to the far country if we choose to. By granting us this freedom of choice, God gives meaning to our love. He seeks our devotion, but refuses to demand it. His love is unconditional. How about you? Do you love your children unconditionally? It's not easy, and it gets harder as they get older. Defiance, disobedience, drugs, alcohol. I want to share you the story of this young lady. She's a daughter of a friend of ours. This was a headline, and in, in her picture was in the Victoria Times on September 5th, where she was one of the guest speakers at a recovery day center, speaking about and helping people to recover. As a teen, she became addicted on drugs and alcohol, cocaine, meth. Her parents loved her unconditionally, were there for her whenever she needed them. At 25, she turned her new leaf, and she's been and she's 31 now, she's been dry ever since, and sharing her story with other people. Now what if those parents had not been there for her, not given her the love that she needed? I know it's not easy sometimes, but love is unconditional. Love suffers. The father never sent a care package to his son in the far country. He must have known where he was. Because the older brother reveals in a detailed description of his younger brother's life in the, when he was talking to him in the fields, when he refused to come into the party. Yet the father allowed the son to go unfed and neglected simply because he loved him too much to interfere with his life. Perhaps if he had interfered, fed, and supported his son, he would have kept him from coming to his senses and returning home. It's very difficult for parents to decide what is right and to keep from interceding sometimes, isn't it? This kind of love can be costly. In our frustration and need, we may hit out at God in these situations, but we can be comforted in the fact that even if we do this, he continues to love us. 
We must continue to love our children regardless of their actions. And love sacrifices. When the son returns home, the father doesn't drag him off to a prayer meeting or sit around sentimentally embracing him. Instead, he provides food and clothing for the needy boy. And he takes part of the estate that is left and divides it with the younger son. How relevant is God's love? There is something profoundly practical about the love of God as he demonstrates it to us daily. Christians are to be just as practical in demonstrating love to others. An American school teacher from the Midwest tells a story that illustrates unforgettably how a family in his town demonstrates what real love really is. The teacher had two small boys in his class who had the same last name but were, were remarkably different in their appearance. When asked if they were brothers, one replied, yes, but one of us is adopted, but I forget which one. <laughs> These characteristics of God's love for us illustrated so clearly in this parable really present a challenge to fathers, but with God's help and his grace, we can meet this challenge and give our children the love they need and so richly deserve. And while we've talked about the commitment of time and the need for love as illustrated in the parable, there's one last area I want to share with you. A father must make the commitment of setting a good Christian example for his children, and I would add their friends as well. Teaching Christian values goes far beyond just bringing your children to Sunday school and church. It goes on every minute of the day. Everything you say or do is being monitored and assimilated. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days of a year for a lifetime. This is a big responsibility and one that can't be taken lightly. The responsibility goes on as we become grandfathers and great-grandfathers as well. So in case your grandfathers thought you were off the hook today because I was talking about fathers, you're not. Because many children have the opportunity in this day and age to spend a lot of time with their grandparents. So your example is equally important. And as I said, the responsibility goes on for a lifetime. So the mission, mission, the mission of introducing one's children to Christian faith can be likened to a four-man relay race. First, your grandfather runs his lap around the track, carrying the baton, which represents the gospel of Christ. At the appropriate time, he hands you the baton to your father and begins his journey around the track. At the appropriate time, he hands the baton to you and you begin your journey around the track. And finally, the time comes when you must get the baton safely in the hands of your children. But as any track coach will tell you, relay races are won or lost in the transfer of the baton. As Christians, we have a responsibility to place the baton in as many hands as possible, but our number one priority is to pass it safely on to our children. And remember, a good team member doesn't quit after passing the baton. They continue their involvement by encouraging and cheering their team on from the sidelines. You, remember, you may remember this remarkable story from the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. Derek Redman, the British runner specializing in 400 meters, uh, tore his hamstring halfway through the semi-final race. A favorite for the medals, he refused to give up and rose to finish the race despite his intense pain. But the most memorable moment, and memorable to me, something that's etched in my mind forever, came next when the runner's father leapt over the railing and from the stands and helped his son complete the race. Steps from the finish line with the crowd cheering them on, he let Derek go so that he could finish the race by himself. As I said earlier, our commitment is for a lifetime. Derek's father understood that. 
Being a Christian father is not easy. It takes a strong commitment. It means keeping your family at the top of your priority list, particularly during the precious prime years. And it means being involved for a lifetime. Very big responsibility, a huge responsibility, but entirely possible with the, with the help of God. So I'm going to conclude my comments today. Perhaps I've been a little long, but you've only got one chance a year. <laughs> so I'm going to read the words of a song to you. You may remember this song. It was on the charts in the mid-70s, and I believe a very pertinent message for us even today. It's called Cats in the Cradle, written by Sandy and Harry Chapin. Do you remember the song? Yeah. It goes like this. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking before I knew it, and as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon, when are you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. My son turned 10 the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I've got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And he walked away, but a smile never dimmed. It said, I'm going to be like him. Yeah, you know I'm going to be like him. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When are you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. We came home from college the other day, so much like a man, I just had to say, Son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit a while? He shook his head and said with a smile, What I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? When are you coming home, son? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids have the flu, but it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When are you coming home, son? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for children. And thank you for the opportunity and privilege many of us have to be parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents. Parenthood is an awesome responsibility, Father. Please help us to make the commitment required to select the right priorities in our lives and to be loving, effective, and forgiving parents. Help us pass the baton at the right time and remind us to continue to encourage and support our children as they become parents. Father, bless us as parents, grandparents and great-grandparents. Help us be good living examples of Christian life and of your unconditional love for us. Amen.